Welcome to the AJP Heart and Cirque podcast. I'm Kara Hansel-Kean. Today we'll discuss a new study by Visniauskas et al. titled, High Plasma Soluble Prorenin Receptor is Associated with Vascular Damage in Male but Not Female Mice Fed a High-Fat Diet. This article was published April 25th, 2023. Joining us today are Deputy Editor Dr. Zam Kassiri, author Dr. Bruna Visniauskas, and author Dr. Minolfa Prieto, along with expert Dr. Glenn Pyle. Let's get started. Sam? Thank you, Kara. Yeah, so this study by Dr. Visniuskis and co-authors is actually it's very interesting in that they used a high-fat-induced model of type 2 diabetes, and they found that the male mice, compared to the females, they had a higher increase in plasma levels of prorenin and renin, soluble prorenin receptor and angiotensin 2, which was also associated with hypertension and carotid artery stiffness. Now, what is interesting is that they took a very novel angle into studying the mechanism for this phenotype. They investigated the causal role of soluble prorenin receptor. And in order to prove that it is the elevated prorenin receptor that is mediating the observed phenotypes or the disease, they infused the male mice with soluble prorenin receptor, and they saw that they can recapitulate most of the phenotypes in these mice. They also did study female mice, they performed ovarectomy, they induced type 2 diabetes in these animals. And before we go into further discussing this very interesting paper, I would like to ask Minofa, who is the senior author on this study, to tell us a little bit more about the rationale and the thinking behind putting this study together. Thank you, Sam, and thank you, Cara, for this great opportunity for us to discuss the outcomes of this study and to spend a little bit more on the discussion. Yes, I would like to start with maybe uh, giving a little bit more background on, on this component of the RAS, of the renin angiotensin system. Our group is... Um, pretty much focused on looking at the role of the systemic and the intrarenal RAS in, in cardiovascular and hypertension. And this particular component, the prorenin receptor, is really fascinating because this is a component that, like we say, double dipping. It uh, contributes to the enhancement of the activity of the renin, but also activates prorenin. And actually what is really interesting is the fact that in individuals with type 2 diabetes, we know for a long time that the prorenin in the circulation, the prorenin levels in the circulation are higher than non-diabetic patients. These levels of prorenin in the circulation have been associated with the onset of microvascular complications, including the microalbuminuria. So to us, when before actually the prorenin receptor was discovered, it was like, you know, no significant concern about having prorenin high when prorenin is actually the inactive form of renin. So most of the people were not 
really motivated to, to follow up this. However, in, in our lab, when the programming receptor was discovered, and this is also uh, true for other groups, that might be perhaps the answer to many questions in terms of complications in diabetic patients. So in, in, that was the initial motivation why we, we want to examine what happened in the systemic circulation with one of these forms that have been described for the proferenin receptor, since uh, these receptors have uh, three molecular forms, and one of them is the soluble proferenin receptor that can be found in the system circulation, in the urine, in, in, in the extracellular space in general. And we, we thought, well, let's go look for if there is a cause effect in diabetic patients or and in a diabetic model, and that's why we decide to induce type 2 diabetes using a high-fat diet model to examine the potential effects of having these high levels of soluble proferenin receptor. If it's, it's there, there is room for that, like indeed we demonstrate, and it's if sex differences in the outcomes or the cardiovascular complication that we usually see in individuals with type 2 diabetes is actually might be uh, associated with these changes in soluble proferenin receptor. Thank you, Manufa. And also what was interesting was the long-term nature of this model that you put these mice on high-fat diet for 28 weeks for the males, and then for the females, it seems like they were already on a high-fat diet. Then you induced ovarectomy. You performed the surgery to cause ovarect to ovarectomize these mice. And were they then allowed to go for another 28 weeks? So like kind of extending the study to 44 weeks instead of the usual 28 weeks? So I'm, I'm hoping, uh, Bruna, since you are the first author, you probably are a lot more familiar with the details of the study. If you could just kind of briefly summarize what the experimental layout of this work is. When was ovarectomy induced? When was high fat started? When was ovarectomy done? And how long after did you have to wait in order to see the phenotypes that you recorded? Yes, and thank you, Zen, and thank you for the invitation too. We started, as Dr. Prieto mentioned, as previously described, only in Mayo. So we started with Mayo and Philip Mayo, black 57 mice. Um, so we divide in two groups at four weeks of age, uh, which and males and females received normal fat diet or high fat diet for 33 and 36 weeks. So as we observed, and then in this study also, uh, we checked that the body weights and all the diabetic phenotypes. So males, as expected, uh, we observe an increase on body weight by high-fat diet. But uh, even then in females, we also observe on a higher that intact and then the females with compared to females with normal fat diet. Males have also the diabetic phenotype were more um, greater in males than females. So we decide at 32 weeks performed the ovariectomy or OVX to look at the role of estrogen. And since that females were less uh, prone to the diabetic phenotype. And also, uh, we also follow not only the metabolic parameters, but also we, we follow the blood pressure by radio telemetry 24 hours and uh, some markers for systemic angiotensin system activation, including SPR. 
what we observed that after ovariectomy, uh, so the females were kept 12 weeks on still on a high fat diet or a normal fat diet. So uh, we observed that the type 2 diabetes phenotype was induced by high fat diet uh, diet only in males and OVX when we compare, but not intact females. So uh, we described that the proline receptor, the levels of proline receptor uh, were also elevated in female as well as in male, uh, females um, oreectomy, oreectomycides, and then in the males too. Thank you. So the females were on high fat diet for 32 weeks before you did the ovarectomy surgery, exactly. right? Exactly. And then you exactly. and then you waited you waited another 12 weeks for the readouts. Yes, another 12 weeks, which is uh, the, the common protocol to see the, the 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 estrogen effects on these animals. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a major commitment to have such long-term experimental models. Now, one of the phenotypes that you reported was that the males develop a non-dipping hypertension. So I was hoping that you um, kind of educate me on what is the difference between a non-dipping hypertension and just hypertension. Yes, for sure. Yes. So what happens blood pressure follows the circadian rhythm that repeats every 24 hours. And health individuals experience 10 to 20% a decrease in the blood pressure at the night during the rest. So uh, the decrease of blood pressure we call as a dipping. As in humans and in animals models, we observe these changes on the blood pressure and the circadian rhythms in blood pressure. So uh, what happened that the hypertensive patients or obesity individuals or, or even diabetics, they showed a lack a 10% of decline in, in nighttime blood pressure, which we call not dippers. So um, as I mentioned, patients with obesity or type 2 diabetes experience nocturnal not dipping hypertension. So the, the changes on the blood pressure is expected to go uh, down, uh, they keep it flat, or sometimes the blood pressure increases at the night. And the, the, what we have been growing evidence have been shown that the uh, uh, not dipping or even an inverted dippers that have an increase, uh, blood pressure higher at the night than the day were associated with different levels of target organ damage and cardiovascular risk. So uh, in our study was um, really interesting because the same moment that we saw this phenotype in um, not dipping blood pressure, we observed at the same time an increase in SPR in male mice due to the, the high-fat diet which was also associated with the elevated blood pressure and, as I mentioned, this loss of blood pressure dipping. So, and uh, what we discussed in our study is that the loss of the diurnal pattern in the night and the day in blood pressure in male high-fat diet uh, mice may promote uh, vascular complications during the obesity-induced type 2 diabetes. So, in, in patients with obesity and type 2 diabetes, as I mentioned, experience the nocturnal dipping hypertension as well, arterial stiffness, and then all of this contributes to the uh, an increase of risk of mortality and uh, cardiovascular disease too. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So if you develop hypertension, but you still exhibit the circadian pattern of a decrease in the sleep sleeping phase, which is the opposite for the mice than it is for humans, Yes, then it is a <laughs> It is a dipping, I guess, hypertension as opposed to non-dipping. Okay. Yes. Right, I yes. learned something. Oh, okay. 
So just um, moving on with this operectomized mice, which I think is a very useful tool in differentiating between the protective effect of estrogen and what else could be happening in the female mice in their contribution to the disease progression. What you guys found was that, or what the study found, was that in the overectomized mice, female mice who continued to be on high-fat diet after overectomy, they gained more weight and they developed a stronger um, diabetes phenotype. They had greater increase in blood pressure, they had impaired glucose tolerance, increased plasma prorenin and soluble prorenin receptor levels, and vascular stiffness. So one way of looking at it is that the overectomy led to a greater weight gain which made the diabetes worse, and that worsened the phenotypes. So how would you differentiate between the direct protective effects of estrogen on these phenotypes, on the vascular phenotypes and these hormonal regulation, versus the effect of estrogen just on the severity of diabetes, and then everything else follows? So Menufa, if you would like to elaborate both you and uh, Bruna, I'll be very happy to hear your thoughts on this. Yes, this is actually a difficult question to answer because, um, yeah, it, it was a, a fact that after OBX, we have all this metabolic phenotype in, in these female mice. What is difficult to really answer with the data from this study is to actually elucidate whether it was a direct effect of the reduction in estrogen or perhaps changes in the sensitivity of, uh, of the female OVX mice, especially because, uh, as you said, th these uh, female mice gain weight and we know adipose tissue also is a tissue that um, have a uh, the capability to produce hormones, estrogens, and also testosterone. And we also know that there is a, a responses to this uh, reduction of uh, estrogens, but uh, also the excess of uh, fat may uh, justify for increases in testosterone in, in, in producing in the adipose tissue. On the other hand, we know that estrogens is protective um, in, 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 in the sense of the vasculature because of nitric oxide uh, production and stimulation. And so we, unfortunately, that is one of the limitations uh, that we need to recognize in this study. We, ha we didn't check directly whether this uh, effect could be a direct effect of the reduction of the estrogen, that it might be. It can be also an effect of uh, the, that in the females we have the severe phenotype usually, but uh, that is uh, actually our plan. Uh, we definitely need to, to examine, perhaps uh, also using cell models, to examine estrogen direct effect in, in this case or another animal model that will help us uh, even more. Especially because uh, these mice, they, in comparison with in, in humans, the ovarectomy was done at an age that are usually is uh, younger mice as comparison with the age as uh, in humans, uh, women develop uh, menopause. So I think it's, um, it's a limitation in this study. 
Yeah, I think I agree with Nolfa too, because uh, we, we don't know, like, it's a chicken egg question, right? Um, so do we know that during the menopause, so how important is the adipocyte tissue as a source for estrogen, since that we have lower uh, uh, estrogen levels in the plasma? So uh, I think uh, what Dr. Mino, uh, Dr. Pierce is saying that, uh, yeah, looking at the uh, the receptors and also the density of the estrogen receptors and the relation with the RAS will be an essential question to answer that severity and protective impact of type 2 diabetes. But um, I agree. Great, thanks. I agree. It's not a simple question to answer. And sometimes the relationship between these different factors is not just a straightforward linear relationship. And Sometimes a lot of things happen in parallel. So it is. it will take some in vitro, I agree, some in vitro experiments will help narrow down the effect of uh, estrogen versus everything else. Now, related to these females and then sex-related differences that you found, in your study, you started off very nicely by saying that in humans with type 2 diabetes, the female patients have a more severe cardiovascular complications. But then when you showed the data from the animals, from the mice, you kind of showed the opposite, that the males actually did worse than the females. I, I realized that there is differences in the human subjects compared to the animal subjects. Like human patients are usually older, there are other complications going on, so they could be dealing with a kind of a moving target there. But um, if you would elaborate on just how you would try to draw some parallels between the reported findings in humans compared to what you have found in your mouse models. The initial, the, the motivation to do this study in the in this animal model was um, upon some clinical data we we had and reported in diabetic patients, in which uh, in this study we found that women with type two diabetes they had um, increases in, in soluble proferrin receptor, which was associated with BMI and systemic RAS activation the, the, because of the increases of plasma renin activity and blood pressure and, and so on. But what happening, in, what we see usually in humans with diabetes, and it has been very difficult to actually reconcile with animal models. In diabetic patients, it's very intriguing the fact that uh, women, once they develop diabetes, eh, even though we consider diabetes per se is no a sex disease, but once uh, women develop type 2 diabetes, the greater tribute in terms of vas microvascular complications, cardiovascular complications, are greater than in, in men. So we decided to do this study in part to examine whether or not the soluble proferenic receptor could be considered a potential marker if we provide basis for that in terms of the systemic RAS activation. I think what we need to insist on other groups, especially the, in clinical studies, is to examine uh, this uh, in, in better control groups, which is very difficult in, in humans because, you know, they have uh, different environmental factors, diet, 
and perhaps we need to the basic scientists uh, maybe emphasize the studies in using not only this strategy of OBX, but perhaps OBX at later ages, uh, like a middle a, a, compatible with middle age, or maybe other models that are now available that perhaps can give us a, a better answer to this. One thing that is actually fascinating is the fact that uh, in control humans in our cohort, it was approximately 269 patients. In control patients, when they don't have type 2 diabetes, the soluble proferenin receptor was higher in males. But once this uh, population the, the, in, the, in the type 2 diabetic patients, the higher levels of soluble proferenin receptor was actually in women with type 2 diabetes. So I think the investigators interested in whether or not this soluble proferenin receptor is actually one of the mechanisms by which proferenin can be activated in the systemic circulation and perhaps its predisposition to microvascular complications in women with type 2 diabetes, I think is a, an open question and is an issue that uh, we should look for uh, into it with more tools and, and, and models. Well, we're lucky to have Glenn Powell with us, who is an expert in studying the sex differences in cardiovascular uh, systems. So Glenn, just to elaborate on this point, we know that there is a lot of encouragement these days to include female animal subjects or female animals in, in the animal studies in order to better represent the male-female patient population for different cardiovascular pathologies. But in many of the animal models, when people study female mice, they find, compared to the male mice, they find that the female mice actually have a milder phenotype. Now, where do you think this apparent disconnect is? And why is it that we are not able to always recapitulate the findings in, in female patients using the female animal models? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question um, as to why we see this disconnect. And, and I think we've, we've just sort of touched on a couple of the reasons uh, so far, but I'll sort of try to put them all together in one answer here. And, and I think one of the big reasons we see this disconnect between the rodent models that we use and the human patient population is age, which we've, we've sort of touched on here. In terms of diabetes, which we're, we're talking about here, that generally in people is a later onset condition. It, it typically doesn't develop in people until their late 40s and, and even as late as their 60s. Certainly, we are seeing more young people develop diabetes, and that is a concern. But for the most part, the patient population that we're dealing with are, are people kind of in their 50s. So you know, let's, for the sake of argument, say you're dealing with a, a patient who's 50 years of age, and that's what you're trying to recapture in these uh, mouse models. We typically don't use mice that are equivalent to 50 years of age in, in people. That's about 15 to 16 month old mice that we would have to start with. And for a number of reasons, time, money, you know, that's that's something that we we aren't able to do a lot in, in research. So first, if we want to recapture the patient population that we're dealing with here, we would need to, to look at age and use those mice that are 15, 16 months old. 
the other elements of of aging which again has also been talked about a little bit here is is menopause so the younger animals that are typically used in studies like the one we're talking about today probably have females that are cycling because they have higher levels of estrogens compared to males and those estrogens provide protection against a whole bunch of, of disease including cardiovascular disease so female mice or rodents are relatively protected compared to the males because we're looking at the the younger cohorts here in the patient population, we're talking about individuals who are 50, 55 years of age. And for women who go through menopause on average about age 51, that means they've lost a significant ability to produce estrogen. So they, they don't have that protective advantage that the mice have that we're trying to compare them to. The other thing we see post-menopause in, in women is the development of more comorbidities. So they have hypertension, they have diabetes, they have ischemic heart disease. All these things come together. And again, we don't see that in the, uh, the, the rodent cohort. So we have these extra stressors. The one point I will sort of raise here that we haven't talked about and, and maybe is a little bit off topic because we're, we're talking about biology here, but, but I think it is something important to consider when we're trying to figure out why patients don't respond the same way that our mouse models do is that certainly over time as, as we've researched diabetes and research treatments, morbidity and mortality associated with diabetes and, and hypertension and these other conditions has gone down. But most of that gain has been seen in men and women have not seen those advantages. And we think, first of all, it might be because women respond differently to the treatments, but certainly there is a lot of evidence to suggest that as patients, women are underdiagnosed, undertreated, they don't get the intensity of treatment, the timing of treatment, and so forth. So when you put this all together, you, you end up having... You're comparing young mice that are cycling that have uh, endogenous protection against an older population with more comorbidities, and perhaps the condition is not being treated as it should. And so that will separate the male-female difference in, in the, the patient population. And, and I think those are just a couple of the reasons why you know what we see in our rodent models don't recapitulate what we see in the patient population. Thanks, Glenn. I wanted to emphasize one of the last points you made that women are generally underdiagnosed and undertreated is because partly because of the way women respond to issues and problems and in general because women complain less than men. And that's why they probably are not as aggressively treated when they show up to the hospital. But uh, moving on, I uh, just want to kind of bring this back together to the main message of the study, which the authors report that the soluble proretin receptor can serve as a biomarker for the diabetes-related hypertension and vascular phenotype. And I just wanted to clarify the nature of this protein in that, Minofa, you did mention that this, uh, this receptor is present in the full-length form in the truncated form and in the soluble form. An interesting thing is that the soluble form is actually secreted. It is processed intracellularly and then secreted. So it's not a processing that happens after it becomes membrane bound. Now, would you, for people who are interested in further pursuing this protein as a marker of disease, do you think there is any merits to also measuring the levels of the full length protein, or do you think it is the soluble form of this receptor that is the major mediator of the phenotype here? I think both forms are important and depends on what actually we're looking for. We have several studies looking at not only the soluble form, but also the 
the full length PR that is anchored to the cell plasma membrane. Even though it is knowing the, the cardiovascular tissues, but we had a very interesting uh, finding looking at the proline receptor in the kidney in diabetes. Initially, when, when we did this study, it was type 2 with, uh, diabetes, and we observed that the full length, the amount of the full length was specifically abundant in the cell plasma membrane in the tubular epithelial cells. And then we did, of course, cell studies treating the cells using M1 cells. And we treat the cells with high glucose. And what we report in that study was the stimulation of trafficking. So the, the proline receptor increased in the plasma membrane. And actually, that was very important and is important in, di in type 2 diabetes because this is the form that actually is activated by renin or proline, if it's present and actually signal intracellularly and stimulate profibrotic genes. As uh, we actually demonstrate, we use siRNA and uh, silence the PRR, and we observe decreases in, in, in the stimulation of these profibrotic genes, which are most of them collagen and um, TGA beta and all, all those uh, were are usually stimulated when the proline receptor is activated by proline. I think both forms are important. Of course, the proline receptor full length is found in tissues, in the cell plasma membranes, in the circulation. We quantify the soluble proline receptor, even though we know that other cells in the circulation can also express um, proline receptor. But I think in both forms, it depends on what is the actual question you're trying to answer are important. But again, I think this is just the peak of the iceberg. I think it's a lot of work that has to be done in terms of the solo performance sector and looking at its predictive value in, in cardiovascular and renal complications. Uh, thanks. And I, I would also like to get Glenn's opinion on this. Glenn, do you think that the soluble proline receptor can be used or can it emerge as a more reliable biomarker for vascular pathologies related to diabetes or maybe just, you know, vascular pathologies related to any other diseases that involve the disruption or disturbance of the renin-angiotensin system? I think it has uh, some some great potential. I mean, in terms of diabetes, we're heavily relying on structural changes, and those can be difficult to pick up. I mean, we're we're a lot of times talking about the microvasculature and and trying to pick up changes there, and you you can see them, for example, when you go for your optometry exams and looking in the eye. But those changes tend to occur a little bit later in the disease, maybe later than we would like, because they're they're driven by functional changes. So it would be really nice to have something more accessible, something uh, predictive earlier in the condition, and, and potentially this could be one of them. 
I think it's more than just an idea or a potential. I mean, we've we've seen this marker being used in women with gestational diabetes um, and seen that it correlates with the severity of illness there. And I mean, the individuals we're talking to today have reported work um, in 2019 in a conference presentation talking about how um, they saw increases in this marker, again, specifically in, in women, but the potential is... I would say it's more than just a potential. I think we're, we're close to reality on, on using this clinically. Perfect. We've had a great discussion on this, on this paper. With that, I would like to thank Bruna Minofa as co-authors on this study, as well as Glenn Pyle for providing his expert opinion on this uh, topic and for discussing this very interesting study that investigated three major health issues, obesity, diabetes, and vascular dysfunction, and more importantly, the impact of female sex hormone on these health risks. So really, this is a very diverse study. So no matter what the interest of our listeners, there is a little bit of something for anyone and everyone in this paper. To our listeners, please make sure to check out this uh, great publication. Thanks for listening to this episode of the AJP Heart and Cirque podcast. Our theme music was written and performed by Ray Mitchell. Catch the latest episodes of our podcast at physiology.org slash journal slash AJP Heart.